Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello! The season finale is upon us of Live and Let's Discuss. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Noah. And we're talking about the Roger Moore classic, The Spy Who Loved Me, and the most hated Ian Fleming novel, The Spy Who Loved Me, and the novelization by Christopher Wood, The Spy Who Loved Me. We're going to start off with the Fleming book, which won't take too long. Um, I'm sorry, everyone. This is probably going to be a long one for for you all. There's a lot to talk about compared to what we've previously talked about with the spy with this with this bond because this is the first time we have a novel, then a film that has nothing to do with the novel, and then a novelization to the film that tries to feel like a Fleming novel. So, The Spy Who Loved Me by Ian Fleming is about... Oh, God, I don't remember her name. Vivienne Michelle. Vivienne Michelle and her her terrible love life up until she's traveling across North America and is just doing a quick job at a hotel being like a hostess, basically. And two thugs from the mafia show up and hold her hostage. And little do they know that Bond is on a mission to find Spectre and happens to stop in over there. And he deals with the thugs in the last third of the book. I think last third is kind of generous. It's the third. If it's a three-act structure, it's the third act. Yeah, but really this is, which we have said before, this is like a short story turned into a novel. Oh, gosh. So when we, in our other podcast, uh, King of Our Nightmares, we talked about this a bit with Carrie. Carrie feels like a good novella that got expanded into a novel but it doesn't really work and in carrie they put in all these like articles on like telekinetic energy and like telekinesis and stuff it's weird yeah it and like parts work. from like books written by the characters in the story like in the future telling us what has happened but as we are reading this will happen which you can argue it's an interesting enough like writing style like there's something to it but yeah it's it's just because they told king that's too short you have to make it like longer but with the spy who loved me it really feels like a story the last like little bit of it feels like a story that would have been in his last collection octopussy in the living daylights where you have something like 007 in new york which is oh that's that's about on the same par those two are horrible but they're like different writing styles where 007 new york is talking about new york 
Um, but you also have stuff like Property of a Lady is in there, which is that egg story. Which I don't think is that bad. It's not, but like we will get to this next season when we talk about For Your Eyes Only. But For Your Eyes Only, just to be brief, all of those stories feel like they were written at the same time and they have a similar writing style. Octopus in Living Daylights was um, released after Fleming's death, and it's and just it was like, it was basically just like left over. Yes, um, Octopus and the Living Daylights; those two stories feel like they fit together. But Property of the Lady was written for a magazine. 007 in New York it was written for something else too. I, I think some sort of like anthology or like a travel report or something, but yeah. Yeah. So like those later were put in because I don't think initially they came out together. No, because that's, that's why the title is Octopussy and the Living Daylights because only those two stories were in it originally mm-hmm. in the sixties. Yeah. So they added those in later and it almost feels like the last little bit of Spy Who Loved Me would have been put in that. But we, the more interesting thing is what Fleming claimed that a fan wrote it and that he published it under his name. Yeah, because he was kind of like embarrassed by it after the fact. Well, the thing is, so it's first person from Vivian's perspective. Talks about her first love, who was a jerk. And then this weird German doctor guy that she was seeing for a while, who was... Who forced her to get an abortion? Yeah, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Um, And then she's just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. And, like, decides to go on a trip to North America, and that's where we get... Where she meets Bond, who's like the best lover she's ever had. And we should point out, this sounds like a quick backstory for her love life. Um, this is about 150 pages. At least. Yeah. It feels like 500 pages. This is Fleming's shortest novel in the Bond series, and it feels like the longest. Yeah. It, it's, it's bad. It's bizarre. It feels misogynistic when it's from the woman's perspective. She's clearly treated like garbage. But uh, but that's the thing. I don't know if this was his point, maybe. Because I don't really understand his intention here. Because I think Fleming said he wrote this book because people were saying, oh, James Bond is so awesome and, and... women wanted a man like James Bond in real life. And he was like, no, James Bond is horrible. If he was a real person in real life, terrible guy. So he wrote this. But in this book, Bond saves like a woman from two rapists, which makes him look really awesome. Because this isn't like he's not on a mission or something. That's just something he does. He stumbles into it. I will say... There is one good thing in this book. It is one little paragraph in there when she and it's either when they're in coitus or right after she says he can never love anyone. This is a man that you cannot like own. You cannot be with. 
which makes Honor Majesty's Secret Service very irritating because that happens next, and he decides that let's get married <sighs> because that th she does this little analysis of Bond. And honestly, it's the only reason, in my opinion, to even read this book. Because she can tell that something had happened to him. The, the, the events of Casino Royale are still very much at play it, with his psyche when it comes to women. And you are cutting out hardcore. Yeah, I know. Internet. It's garbage. Yeah. You just need to move here. The internet's kind of garbage and you have to pay a lot of money for it. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, it's why you love me. It, I mean, I would recommend I would recommend reading it once, the book. Yeah. Because I I um, do think it's an interesting enough experiment for Fleming. Yeah, it's it it's different. It does reference Spectre for about two seconds. Because this takes place, we should just say, this takes place right after Thunderball, right before Honor Majesty's Secret Service, where in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, the novel they've talked about that he's been hunting for Spectre for a while and he can't find them. Mm -hmm. This is one of those things. Because he, he ended up, he had just gotten out of like a firefight or something with an, a possible lead to Spectre, to, to Blofeld. And it went nowhere. Yeah. The person ended up dying. Which sounded like it would be a more interesting book. A more Which interesting I wish story. was at least a short story. Because we're going to start next season, we're going to start getting into the Fleming short stories. Mm -hmm. Which are wonderful. And this could have been a decent short story. Yeah. Just imagine the final part of this book. We just begin the story, this woman in distress, mm -hmm. and then suddenly Bond shows up, saves Le her. Leave good it stuff. In her, from her perspective, too. Yeah. That would work. But this is just, it's too long and it's too much uncomfortable nothing. But anyway, let's get into the film. Because you've told me and I didn't do the research for it, that when Fleming said talked about making The Spy Who Loved Me into a movie, he said, don't use the story. Yes, famously, he put it in the contract. Like, you can use the title, Spy Who Loved Me. You can't use anything from the actual book. Nothing from the story. Yes. So we open with... Two well, we the film opens with two nuclear submarines, one British and one Russian. Although we don't see the Russian one taken, we're told that it's also taken by a mysterious force. They are just disappeared, they're taken away and uh just disappeared. No one knows where they are. Um both the British government and the Russian government hear about it at the same time, which in the film, it's General... What is, what is his name? For the Russian, General Gogol, in his first time actually being this character, who's going to be a character for a little while that just shows up periodically. He shows up uh, in every movie up until Living Daylights. That's his last appearance. 
Yes. In the book, it's the head of Schmersh, which is Colonel Nickton. Mm-hmm, yeah. Who um, is way more aggressive and sinister. Creepy. Well, he feels like a male version of Rosa Klebb, which I yeah. think is the point. He's gross. He's a pervert. And he like has nasty dentures, which did give me a chuckle. That he doesn't take care of his teeth, and he's not going to take care of his dentures either. Well, of course, um, they, the the Russians or Smash in the novel, uh, they send their best agent on the do- on the job, which in the film has the code name of Triple X, which. You either think of Vin Diesel or, um, oh God, who, who was Triple X in State of the Union? It was Ice Cube. <laughs> or, or you think of porn, which I think was the, the point. Yes. Who's uh, Major Anya Amazov, which in the movie they barely ever say her first name, where Roger Moore calls her Anya. But it, to me, it looks like how you'd spell Anya. But I don't, I don't know. That, that's a complaint <laughs> I have with the film. And she's out. I think in the book, it's by the Dead Sea. She's with another member of Smash. They're not supposed to be in a relationship, but they're secretly in love. Mm-hmm. Her her boyfriend is sent off to deal with James Bond, who James Bond has been set up in the Alps. I think he's in the Alps. or He's like, in Austria, yeah. He's in Austria. He's with a woman who, it's clearly Smash has set him up to be murdered. Or just the Russians have set him up to be murdered in the movie. We need to make this clear. There is no, there is only one reference to Smash ever. In the Bond films, and that's in From Russia with Love. At least which that they, I remember. Yeah, which they had to keep it in because otherwise the title wouldn't make any sense. Yes. And I mean, there's one reference in Living Daylights with the Smerts Bionim or whatever, which is oh, Smash. Yeah. So there is no, there basically is no Smash in the films. Mm-hmm. Smash was added by Christopher Woods in the novel which is a nice touch but we get we get a real realization of how violent this book is when bonds with this woman in a cat in the cabin he opens up i think it's a wardrobe or a closet and a naked dead woman falls out that's been like brutally murdered and he realizes oh it's a trap whereas in the film he gets a freaking message that's a piece of paper that comes out of the Bond watch, which thankfully there are no Bond watches in in The Spy Who Loved Me. The gadgets are put to a minimum. Because mm-hmm. it feels like in the Roger Moore films, there's always a watch that does something to get him out of trouble. And that's obnoxious. Bond should just use his mind to get out of these situations. Now that you were mentioning the watches, I was thinking of the scene in like Specker with the exploding one. 
There was no time to die. No, that was Spectre. Was Remember, it? Daniel Craig has this terrible one-liner, doesn't time fly? And then his girlfriend throws it, and it explodes, and it scars Blofeld, Christoph Waltz. Oh, that's right. Okay. Because I, I was thinking of No Time to Die when he holds the watch up to the guy, the Cyclops guy, who has oh, a yeah. eye, and he, he's like, it, it, Q, your watch blew his mind. Which is, they're equally bad. Yeah. I mean, that one was so bad, it was actually kind of awesome. I kind of I, I will give it that. I, I kind of love that, and I think Daniel Craig did that himself. I like to think that. He did it himself? He actually exploded this guy's eyeball? Yeah, you know, he just... A very dedicated just, actor. He killed a stuntman who never said anything. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, Bond, Bond takes off on the skis... And we have a, a ski chase, which I think is the first of the more ski chases, which became a thing through mm. pretty much most of his films. Yeah, and watching it this time, I had flashbacks because I watched A View to a Kill not too long which, ago. Almost the same. Yes. But except for the Beach Boys. Yeah, the music. Oh my god. It's better in this movie. Yes. It doesn't have John Barry, but it has decent music. The, oh yeah, we need to talk about the score, which is Marvin. Oh god, what is his Hamlish? Name? I think Marvin Hamlish, who makes a wonderful disco Bond theme. Now people are probably cringing thinking of that, but it's really unnecessarily good. This is one of my favorite Bond soundtracks. Hmm. It's so fun. I I literally will put the track Bond seventy seven. Just the disco like remix of the Bond theme while I drive, like on a regular basis. Like I, I just find it so enjoyable. But um, anyway, so he kills Anya's boyfriend with the ski pole. He shoots him with it, and in the I think the book he just throws it. I don't think maybe, it's... maybe I remember there was something different in the book. Well, it involves the ski pole and it's very graphic, but it's a reference to On Her Majesty's Secret Service when he kills that guy with the with the ski pole. Mm. It's a it's a reference to to that, like straight up, and it's just as graphic as it was in the book. And he, of course, Bond escapes by jumping off a cliff. And literally releases a parachute with the Union Jack. Which and I love. This is this I, is great. I love it. Especially the book, because there's a dude that just has this British pride as he looks at this guy <laughs> in the distance <laughs> parachuting down. <laughs> yeah, but, but what I loved about it is they play the Bond theme at the perfect moment. Oh, yeah. When, when he opens it up. And I would say this pre-credit sequence alone mm. is kind of more enjoyable than the previous two Roger Moore Bonds. Yes. Yeah, because you immediately realize, okay, they got it. Now, third film with Roger Moore, they finally got it. Mm -hmm. What to do with him? Well, another thing that I find enjoyable about this is that in the film, 
we're led to believe that there's a male equivalent in Russia to Bond, and then the snap zoom of it's a woman. Oh yeah, that was good. His equal is a is a woman, and I. There are things about that that I like, but this film and the novel more so, but the film don't quite, you know, they they kind of make them equal, but kind of don't. But that's the 70s for you. Yeah, I, I would say it's a, it's a very good you know, attempt at it. And yeah, I like this uh, subversion because we already had Bond's equal, like his dark side version with Red Grand. Yes. Still the best. Yes. And this was just a nice little... That, that's uh, another thing. This movie, the story, it has some subversions to it. Mm-hmm. To what we are used to. Like, yeah, here. Um, the equivalent to Bond, it's a female. And the villain, his motive is something different than what we are used to. Yes. And unfortunately would become the standard. Yeah. And it's this is the best time. Well, we'll get why don't we get into Stromberg and Stromberg's like point? Yeah, he well, he's Carl Stromberg in the movie, he's Sigmund Strom- Stromberg, yes, in the, book. In the book, and that's a very nice detail in the book. Um, the initials for like his organization is SS, yes, very intentionally. So, so Stromberg's whole thing is that, especially in the book, they go into detail. He loves the sea. He loves the ocean. He loves fish. And in the book, he can kind of resemble a fish at times, which is kind of strange. Like, he's not, he doesn't look right. He looks weird. Mm-hmm. And, like, he, he used to have fish as a kid, and he would feed animals to the fish. He had piranhas. And he, he started off at a, at a funeral home and then, like, he made a bunch of money during right before World War II. And he just built this empire by, like, killing crime people, like, mafia members. And he just became this, like, millionaire. And his whole thing is he wants to destroy the world. And have a colony of people under the sea. In his um, in his Atlantis. In I, was, his Atlantis. I, I was about to call it a space station, but that's the next movie. <laughs> that's exactly his, his underwater station. And he had his big um, henchman is Jaws, who's one of the most iconic Bond villains. Yeah, him ever. and. Him and the other guy, Sandor, I think he's called. But Sandor really isn't in the book. In the no, not really. He, I mean, he has a small role in the film and in the novelization. Yeah, but those like... two henchmen are actually based on the bad guys from Fleming's original novel. Are they really? Yeah. So in the book, they are called Sluxy and Horror. Yes! And one of them is like a smaller guy, he's like bald, and the other one is like this big guy with metal teeth. So they took those two characters. I I don't know, if Fleming was still alive. Yeah, Fleming had been dead for like a decade by that point. Yeah, but if he was still alive and he saw that, he would have been like... He he wouldn't have been amused. 
probably. No. But Jaws can't speak because sometimes he, got, he can. Yeah, well, in the novelization, they are told he does not have vocal cords. Anyway. Well, he probably Christopher Wood probably has to retcon that in his next novelization, or he just won't add it. I have a feeling. Maybe. Maybe. So, well, first of all, so Jaws was like this, like crazy, like brawler guy, and he ended up getting so beaten by police that they like broke his jaw. That Stromberg made him titanium teeth. And he, in order to do it, he had to remove Jaws's vocal cords. So Jaws is like this giant, mute, super strong, mute man with titanium teeth that he can bite through bone with. And we see it happen. He bites through that dude's spinal cord, which is so disgusting. Which we get... This, this book is nasty yeah like you said it tries to be a ian fleming bond novel which is interesting but to but me yeah, can... it, it felt a little more like colonel sun where colonel sun felt a little extreme at times yeah um especially with the torture yeah the torture aspect we we will get to your favorite scene in the book don't worry God. but i just wanted to add quick jaws he actually, similar to uh, Stromberg, he gets a backstory, and mm -hmm. it really has a Fleming feel to it, which yes. I like. And we learn Jaws is Polish, and we even get his real name in the book. The name is escaping me. I do not remember. Uh, even if you know it, like I, I have no idea how to pronounce this. Krzyzewicki? It's not pronounceable. <laughs> it's too hard. You're it's some from Polish nonsense. Area. You're, you're a closer country than I am from that. That doesn't mean I understand Polish. This is complete nonsense to me. <laughs> but yeah, no. It looks like Kreisewicki is his last name. But yeah, difficult. Anyway, so we we cut to Bond is sent to Cairo to um, take up the customs. As Roger Moore does with his friend from Oxford when a woman hands him a flower so she can be deflowered. I get the joke. And that, that feels like a Roger Moore thing. Right there. That that that's like prime Roger Moore is allowed to be Roger Moore. Um so we whereas in the book we get to Cairo and it's just a a shit show. Bond goes to this house to get get to so there's this guy, he's selling a microfilm that he stole from Stromberg of where the submarines are. Smash wants it, and um, MI6 wants it. So Bond, Bond goes to the contact's house, meets his mistress, 
Mistress tries to seduce him. Bond's not having any of that in the book. In the movie, he's very for it. And because it's Roger Moore and he needs to get the max amount of a woman boning in per film. Then she's shot, which is really graphic in the film and kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Not in this film, in, in the book. It's kind of like graphic and sad. In the movie, it's done in two seconds, and he goes and chases. Yeah, he doesn't even check if she like still has a pulse or something. No, he just the runs book, away immediately. Yeah, he goes to fight the guy in the most awkward Roger Moore fight since Man with the Golden Gun. But it ends in the best way. Oh yeah, where the guy's holding on to Roger Moore's tie, and then he falls. Which yeah. is pretty good. And Roger has a nice little one-liner. And would you like to share it? What a helpful chap. <laughs> Just every once in a while he does something really cold. Doesn't mm. happen often. But, but yeah, so we cut to well, first of all, in the book, he, I think does he even kill him? I think he does kill the henchman. They get in the shootout. I think so, yeah. And then he goes back and the woman's like die dies in his arms. And then we go to the in the book. In the book. Not in the movie. Not in the movie. Because we immediately go to the pyramids. Mm-hmm. That's Some good we, visuals there. We find our uh, contact is talking to to Anya of Smersh. And Jaws is there and the contact freaks out. And tries to run away. Jaws chases him. And Bond chases Jaws. And then Jaws rips the dude's spine out. In the neck. book. In the book. Because, because in the movie, like it's obvious that's what it's implying. That he bites him like a vampire. Like in the neck. Mm. Yeah. It looks weirdly sexual and romantic in the movie. Yeah, but in a creepy way. Like it's a oh, yeah. creepy scene because it keeps it keeps like slowly like the lights go black and then it comes back and it's really intense. I remember as a kid that freaked me out when I saw it because I saw this at a pretty young age. Yeah. <clears throat> Jaws in this movie is still somewhat of a terrifying enemy. Yes. It's not like in Moonraker when he, he becomes the best character. Yeah, when, when Bond and him have the fight on the, the cable car, mm-hmm. and, and he just tells the... Roger Moore tells the Bond girl, his name is Jaws. He kills people. <laughs> they get in an awkward fist fight. Because every fight with Jaws is super awkward. Yeah, which, to be fair, that's because the actor is, like, enormously tall and, you know, has pain moving and shit. It also should should be noted that Roger Moore, I think, is the tallest actor to play Bond. He's over mm-hmm. six feet. He's taller than Connery was. Hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know Craig's the shortest. He's yeah. the only one under six foot. But yeah, it. it Roger Moore's not a small person, but he looks significantly dwarfed in front of Jaws. Everyone does. Sorry. 
Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Gabby. Like three fucking times. Anyway. I I kind of love the scene both ways, but we get our big diversion, like we diverge completely from movie to book right about now. So Bond finds this man just mutilated, and in the book he gets captured by Smash. In the movie, he gets in a fist fight with the, the two Russian guys that are with Anya. He beats them both up. Easily. Then walks away and is like, I hope you enjoyed the show. Yes. In the book, we get to the one of the most uncomfortable torture scenes I've ever read in a Bond book. And I don't say that lightly. Yeah. Christopher Wood is apparently a big fan of Casino Royale with the oh famous God. ball torture scene. Yes, which we have not talked about that really on here yet because we haven't gotten to Casino Royale. But the torture in the book is horrific in that, and he just takes it up a notch because it's like he was a big fan of the simplicity of it in Casino Royale and just how graphic the torture was in Colonel Sun. So, boy, let's combine them together and we just strap a car battery to Bond's testicles. Which can, granted, you imagine, can you imagine? I have seen this before because I've read Kick-Ass and this happens in the comic book of Kick-Ass. So, like, I knew as soon as the car battery came out, I'm like, they're going to attach it to his genitals. That's 100% what's it. And sure enough, Mind you, I want to just say I was at my girlfriend's job. She was working a weekend and I just came up with her and I was just reading that. And I read this whole torture sequence because it goes on for a while. And I'm just like grimacing. She's like, are you okay, Jeremy? And I'm like, yeah, I'm reading something horrific right now. And so, yeah, they, they torture him. And then the only reason they even stop it's because Anya out. comes in, and There's she's like, like, she's like, pull his pants back up. Like, what are you doing? You're killing him. Yeah, and they're like, this method has worked for us many times. And then Bond kills them. <laughs> he chops one in the throat and kills him, and then throws the other one into the car battery, so they get all electrocuted, and he jumps out a window. This sounds like, like an R-rated fan fiction of the movie. Yeah. But it's kind of awesome. Like it is. It, it works. Like it feels very Fleming. Yes, but this wouldn't have worked in this movie because can you imagine Roger Moore in the ball torture scene in Casino Royale instead of Craig? No. The only one that could have pulled this off was Dalton. Yeah. Dalton and Craig. Well, you know what? I could see Pierce Brosnan. Hmm. Doing this, you remember his torture in um, oh gosh, the world's not enough. Oh, yeah, when he's choking, yeah, yeah he's just being like just being crushed by some elaborate, weird torture device. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, Roger Moore talks his way out of things like that, or he has awkward fist fights. Oh, God. Yeah, and this movie's full of them. The dude could not 
fight. And I can't bring this up enough, whereas Connery, it's frustrating. Connery could fight, which is judo black belt, but they never really could choreograph it well. I think it only, it works in From Russia with Love as like a, a weird brawl to the death, and it kind of works in Goldfinger. But like, we talked about this with You Only Live Twice, the awkward couch fight. Mm-hmm. With the rocks. Was it? The I think ankle. it was his grandfather. Yeah, <laughs> which is incredible. Don't get me wrong, but it's goofy. But I I did some research when we started doing live and let's discuss, and Roger Moore took some karate lessons, hmm. and that's it. And that was when he, that was two films ago. That was when we did live and let die. But he has some moves that he does, like signature, like chop, weird chopping things that are not effective on people. Mm-hmm. And oh boy, do, not only does he have those, but Anya uses those too. They're equals in the bad fighting department. Yeah. But anyway, we go back to he goes to this like club after this, it's like a day later. In the book. In the movie, it's like the same night. It's like five minutes later. Yeah. Uh, He goes to a club and he runs it to Anya and they talk. And in the film, we have... It's kind of an awkward... Like, they know who each other are from their profession. Mm -hmm. In the book, that's not really the case. She knows who he is, but he doesn't really realize who she is until he realizes it's smash a little later but she knows who he, in the movie they know who each other are and they order their signature drinks which is kind of cute i do like that and then anya just like flexes on him telling him like his whole backstory and he drops that he was married once and it pisses bond off and he walks away which I do enjoy that, like, hey, Honor Majesty's Secret Service did happen. Finally, it's referenced. It's finally referenced after three films. And you could argue that the beginning with the hunt for Blofeld and Diamonds Are Forever is him. Yeah, that was him. kept ambiguous for a reason. Yeah. But yeah, part of the re- Okay, there are two reasons why this movie did this. The first one is originally the bad guy was supposed to be Blofeld. So there would have been a Spectre connection there. Hmm. The other reason is um, something I don't think we have mentioned yet. This was produced by the famous uh, Cubby Broccoli. Yes. Who we, I think we brought him up a couple of times. But the first movies up until Man with the Golden Gun were produced by Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. Yes. And it, behind the scenes, there was a lot of drama with Harry Saltzman and Broccoli, and they eventually like split. Yes. And be, also because Man with the Golden Gun wasn't really that successful, mm-hmm. it didn't bring in as much money as they would have hoped to. And Spy Who Loved Me was a gamble for Broccoli, who was now, now all alone. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, if this is the last Bond film, we're going to show, okay, this is Bond. We're going to reference the previous movies, the significant events, like Tracy, obviously. We're going to bring back everything 
and you know just go go all in mm. pump all the money in with special effects and stunts and stuff which you can feel in the movie yeah it it feels it, this does isn't an ugly film whereas the previous two previous three if we're being honest especially diamonds are forever they all feel cheap a lot of the time or diamonds especially because they had to pay Sean Connery a ton of money to even show up. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. all of them had this cheap feeling to them. Yeah. And they were all directed by Guy Hamilton, who also did Goldfinger. And this one was directed by Lewis Gilbert, who also mm-hmm. did You Only Live Twice, and then mm-hmm. would later also do Moonraker. And all of his Bond films are essentially the same movie. They are. This is the best version of it, though. Yes. Because here, everything worked. Yes. And, like, the theme of it, as a whole, with both the novelization and the film, is really nice. That, hey, Bond is going to fall in love with his equal from the, the opposition. And if this was going to be the last Bond book or film, thematically, it works. Oh, yeah. Unlike with Spectre. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Does not work at all. This would be a, a great send-off. Yeah. But... And I mean, it was so great watching this movie again now, where the message is like, hey... You know, some optimism. We can work together. Yes. Remember optimism in movies? What a concept. Yeah. What a novel idea. <laughs> anyway, so we, they both, both Anya and James go to meet this guy who has the microfilm. And they start bidding, and then he gets a telephone call which turns out to be jaws and jaws kills him and steals the microfilm which in the in the book there's just this bloody phone booth and then in the film because it's pg there's no blood and then bond puts the out of service sign on him and jumps out the window and anya somehow teleports out the front door <laughs> not knowing what happened and they both get in the, the back of the van where that Jaws is driving. And then they spend the night in the van, which is bugged. And Jaws knows they're back there. And Jaws drives them into basically a trap and tries to kill both of them. Yeah. I would like to point out, in that scene, Anya mentions, oh, we have files on him. And Bond also has them. And she tells him, oh, his name is Jaws. He's like this hitman. Mm-hmm. This explains your complaint about Moonraker. About like why does how does Bond know Jaws' name? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't remember that. Yeah, I mean I didn't either, so it, I didn't remember a lot of this film, and that's un that's unfortunate, I think. Mm-hmm. Some of it was fortunate. There's a there's a couple funky things in here that we're gonna get to. But anyway, we have an the first awkward fight with Jaws, where he literally rips their van apart. I mean, Bond that's kind of fun. Him in the teeth, which was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. 
that's a pretty comedic moment. But, but I uh, mean, I mean, I do love how this fight shows how over the top Jaws is as a bad yeah. guy when he's literally ripping the van apart. Like, well, we had to outdo Odd Job. Yeah, I feel like no one had topped Odd Job in the films. I don't. There hadn't been a henchman like him. I mean, we had good ones, great ones, unique ones, but yeah. like physically For- strong like that. Yeah, like odd job. That's yeah. I mean, remember odd jobs karate demonstration in the book of Goldfinger, where he's like oh, flipping yeah. around and breaking everything. Oh yeah, he got he got to eat one of um, Goldfinger's cats as oh, a reward. Oh god, I forgot about that. God, oh. <laughs> I mean, Jaws literally eats a shark in this movie. So yes, that is true. And possibly in the book. Yeah. It's left ambiguous. Mm -hmm. But what I love about this fan scene is like Anya is driving and it's this really comedic scene where they are going back and forth and trying to get rid of Jaws. Yeah. And Bond is just sitting there making like jokes about, you know, women drivers. Which is not in the book. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's a Roger moving. That's a Roger Moore thing. That that feels frustrating. Because in the book, there's just mutual panic. Because Anya was full on... There's something we need to point out thus far in the book. Anya doesn't give a shit about Bond. Does not. That's the, that's the enemy. If he dies, then there is... I have no qualms with that. In the movie, that barely factors in. Like, they're kind of flirty with each other the whole time. But I think he starts to realize that she's part of uh, Smash at this point, and she's not to be trusted. But they're, they're, they're attracted to one another, especially he's attracted to her, of course. It's Bond. She's a, a hot female that's dangerous. And hey... They do mention that Smash has tried to kill him twice with women. Which is a, a, a book reference. They reference mm-hmm. both the novel From Russia with Love and Casino Royale. <laughs> Jeez. Um, they, they escape, which is... We have a nice scene in the film of them on a, a boat. Mm-hmm. Which we get another Roger Moore weird microfilm thing like he has this device and he looks puts it together from his cigarettes case small gadget yes but then we get to the best moment oh when she blows weird powder in his face and knocks him out you were about to say poison right i was about (laughs) to say poison yeah that's pretty much what it is yeah because they are flirting with each other and bond things He's gonna get some. Then she pulls out like her cigar case or something, mm-hmm. takes one, and then pff. right in his face, which she does drug him in the book. Oh yeah, she injects him with something. I think. Mm-hmm. But what mm-hmm. I love about this scene is, after this, Bond returns to like headquarters in mm-hmm. Egypt, right? Yes. And he, and then we get a great scene in the movie, mm-hmm. where there's just General Gogol. Is there? Yeah, and Bond is 
pissed. Yeah. I, I love and confused that. at first. Yeah. And I love how this implies, I mean, clearly shows, like, she probably kind of knew at this point, maybe, that she yeah. and Bond were supposed to work together and, you know, arrive there together. But she still knocked him out and stole the thing just so she could be like, I arrived first, I have it. I'm Bond. better than you. Yeah, I'm better than you. Bond is yes. Bond. Because there's that competition aspect between the two of them. Because mm -hmm. Bond has every intention of abandoning her at one point. And yeah, it, I do enjoy it. And I love when M walks in and is like, there's a change of plans. Yeah, you and then he's like, you probably see my counterpart from the KGB is here. Mm -hmm. Which in the in the book, there's more tension because oh yeah, because there. the Russians in the book are very much Fleming's uh, bad guy Russians, yeah, especially Nickton. Yeah, Nickton's creepy. Yeah, and he gets but... all jealous that Bond is like eyeing up Anya because oh, why... we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. In the beginning, so there's a scene in the beginning when Anya's called into the to the office. It's in both the book and the film. And she's given her mission. She's told that her lover's dead. In the movie, Gogol just says, like, hey, we've known this has been going on for a while, despite you hiding it from us. In the book, Nixon comes on to her. And it's actually kind of a, a tense scene that reminds me a lot of the novel from Russia with Love. Mm -hmm. Rosa Klebb came on to... Oh god, what is her name? Tatiana? Tatiana, yeah. Yeah, and, he's kind of trying to like blackmail her. Yes. And he makes like this plan where it's like, okay, I'm gonna tell her that it was Bond who killed her lover, so... She's gonna kill him, and then I'm gonna get some. That's yes. pretty much it. Which is gross and weird. Yeah, but Gogol yeah. in the movie is like just a nice guy. Yeah, he's like, just, he's he's M's counterpart. Yeah, and I like that M and him they are like really good with each other. Like he even yeah. calls him Miles, which is the first time we get M's name in the movies. Yes, and. I, I just like that. We also, I forgot to mention it. We got, um, we meet the next M. Oh, yeah. Admiral Hargreaves. Yes, who ends up replacing M two films from now? Yeah, Robert Brown. I think he first appears in Octopussy. Uh, yeah, because I can't remember if that it's that or For Your Eyes Only. No. I think um, Bernard Lee died during like pre-production of For Your Eyes Only, and they said out of respect, we're not going to choose another actor. In in For Your Eyes Only, they just say M is on vacation or something. Like yes, that. but it's still Admiral. The Admiral is that yeah. giving orders. I mean, we, we'll figure this out next season. Like, <laughs> yeah, but uh, so this has led like to the fan theory because Admiral Hargreaves is here and he's played by Robert Brown. Mm -hmm. would later replace uh, Bernard Lee as M. And people have said, oh, 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 this means the M from Octopussy onwards is Admiral Hargreaves, actually, mm -hmm. who became the new M. And it's like, no. 
No. It's just sorry, but no, that's just recasting. N has only been replaced in the main Bond films once. And that's addressed in Goldeneye. Yeah. And that that is made clear in the film, not just in the novelization, but is made clear in the film that yeah. she is new to being M. Well, M's role. I and say. I think what I think what ha- has added some more confusion to this is um that we see Bernard Lee. Uh, no, not Bernard Lee. We see Robert Brown, a portrait of him in No Time to Die. Yeah. And people have said, oh, but, 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 but that means, that means nothing. It's a just, it's just a reference that the director yes. wanted to put in. We saw a portrait of Bernard Lee in World is Not Enough. We saw one of um, Judy Dench in, in No Time to Die, I think, and then of uh, Robert Brown. But it's like, it's just a reference. Yes. Like, like especially because the, this is the Daniel Craig series. They don't have yeah. any connection. It's like putting the Vantage V8 in. Yeah. From Living Daylights. Oh my god, it's Timothy Dalton's car. Yeah. It's This isn't 007 Legends, people. That's not canon. Oh, it could be, I suppose. But If you want to believe um, Robert Brown's M is Admiral Hargreaves, whatever but i'm pretty sure m like miles mazavi m has like a different military rank like he's also admiral but like a different type of admiral i, I think don't... i think someone pointed it out hargreaves would have to be like demoted instead of promoted mm-hmm. if he was still an admiral so... yeah anyway anyway so, Amazova and Bond are to team up and stop Stromberg. We figure out it's Stromberg. It's a great scene of the two of them working together unintentionally. So they get assigned to, to work together, which they're not super thrilled on. But, you know, we start getting the romance. At least in the film, we start getting the romance then. In the book, it takes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cut to the Lotus. Lotus. Yes. Yeah. So I want to point it out. I like Lotuses. I think they're really cool cars. I don't like 70s Lotuses. They look doofy. Like, the thing is, the, the current Lotus equivalent to this Bond car, I mean, obviously doesn't go underwater. But, like, it looks, it takes some of the styling of the 70s Lotus, but it doesn't have the boxy back. That's my issue with it. The back of it looks weird. Looks like they kind of wanted to make, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a 90s Camaro. That's not a compliment, because the 90s had some of the most ugly cars ever made were in the 90s. This Lotus is funky, and I get that it is a big deal car for Bond fans because it goes underwater. It's the wet Nelly, but it is an ugly freaking car. It might have driven really nice, but it is a goofy 
looking car. And that's something to be brought up with the Spy Who Loved Me is this feels the most 70s of the Bond yeah. with the with the the 70s tux. This is the first time we have Bond in the gun barrel is wearing a tux instead of a mm-hmm. suit. I think he looks good in this movie with his outfits. Yeah, but like they're they're very dated. I yeah, love obviously. flare pants. Don't get me wrong. If I if they made flare pants for men, I would wear them, but they're very 70s. Mm-hmm. My dad, for instance, he always he always craps on this film because he always thinks it looks too 70s. Mm-hmm. And I think that really comes from the Lotus. The Lotus looks like a 70s car. 70s British car, not a 70s American car. Mm-hmm. It's just it the Lotus, you know, it's whatever. Not my favorite Bond car, but I get that people like it. Anyway. Yeah, it's it's also not my favorite look, but it has, you know, cool functions. Yes. It turns into a submarine, so. It doesn't go invisible and have automatic shotguns on it in Iceland. Yeah, that's... <laughs> or it's it's not like the, the fucking underwater thing from Escape from L.A., that he uses. Oh god, that's another one that's bad. <laughs> there are worse like supercars out there. Anyway, let's um so in the book I wanted to point out that Anya does not like that they have the Lotus. She's like, why can't we have an economy car? Like this is such a capital wa- capitalist waste of money. Like just going on and on. And in the film, she's just like Oh, that's nice. Yeah. We miss most. This is one of the few times we get. Um, we didn't even talk about the whole Q thing. Q no, branch has moved out to Egypt and they have a whole bunch of their gadgets and stuff. And it's just. Is funny. this. I have it's, to ask. But I, but I think I'm already wrong. Is this the first time we have seen like Q branch? Like, not just Q with his gadgets, like the entire thing being in a different location i think so but technically if you watch you only live twice with the ninjas japanese is equivalent to q the japanese equivalent to q branch we've seen something like this before with the when bond learns to be a ninja and you only mm. live twice. but it's the first time we've seen the russians it's the only time we get the russians in there, like, and that's funny to watch them kind of react to all this nonsense because mm-hmm. that's what Q branch really becomes, and that's what's going to be for now on is just nonsense gadgets for jokes. Yeah, even in Dalton's era in Living Daylights, it's still like this, and like in Brosnan's era, mm-hmm. it's like this, especially in um. Die Another Day. Where it's not only that, but it's references. And bad ones. But, oh god. We need to... So we get the Lotus, and for the first time we don't get all the features of the Lotus told to us. Yeah, so we get a surprise later. Yes. But first things first. Q. Anya says... Good morning, Major Boothroyd. Yes, which sir. I love. I love that too. Because not many people know this, I guess, but yeah, Q's real name is Major Boothroyd. 
and which in is the, the character we see the first time in Doctor No. And in the book, they never refer to him as Q. This yeah. novelization. This novelization is very much the Fleming books. There is Q Branch. Q Branch is referenced once, actually twice. Uh, but there is no Q, mm -hmm. which is something in the Gardner books that is a thing. Oh, instead of Q, we got QT. I didn't know that, but I was thinking of his novelizations. They reference Q. Well, Q is a character, of course, in License to Kill, so he's in the novelization. But in Goldeneye, there is Q. Yeah. Like, like both those novelizations. So it's nice that Christopher Woods still stays with the Fleming notion that there's Q branch, but he's not named Q. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that will stay for Moonraker. <laughs> now we have to watch out. Yeah. Because this could just be the end of the Fleming timeline, basically. Because mm -hmm. this... Well, anyway. I'll get to that at the end of this video. Or recording. Whatever this is. I don't know. I don't know. We've been going for an hour, and it feels like an hour, but we're only halfway through the freaking story oh my god we have to hurry up we haven't even talked about the villain yet at all we have a little bit we went what about his his uh, scenes in the movie which are good not yet but we're we're getting there anyway so uh, we in the in the so they're supposed to be married bond on it's like their their cover is that they're married and he's a marine biologist. And so Stromberg invites him to his fortress. I'm gonna call it a fortress, which is this weird model thing that is that can go underwater and it can rise out of the sea and it can be towed with his giant tanker um ship. Yeah. So and we it go looks to the amazing. Thing. Yes. Actually, it's the only model that kind of works. Because mm -hmm. we have a bunch of models and stuff in this movie. And this movie was not meant for high definition. So a lot of the special effects shots that involve models look really, really bad. So we get to first of all, we have another Bond girl, kind of. Like, not in the book at all, but she's like a like sort of henchman or henchwoman for for Stromberg. She's of course attractive, of course. And Bond flirts with her a little bit, which makes Anya jealous. But in the book, Anya's just not thrilled to be there at all with Bond. Which we have my favorite favorite line from the book absolute favorite where she's like do you have to do you always drive this fast and bond's like no sometimes i speed <laughs> gave me a little chuckle because mm -hmm. he does drive crazy fast like he's playing with a toy basically is how anya puts it so anyway we get to stromberg's Fortress, his sea fortress, and Atlantis. Bond and Atlantis. Bond and Stromberg in the book 
barely talk, yeah. which I think is a little detriment to the um, to the book because we don't get a lot of Stromberg and Bond interacting with one another until the end mm -hmm. of the book. But in the film, we get a little more. But the big thing that's the same with both of them is that Bond sees, because we haven't talked about this, in the beginning, Stromberg um, punishes an assistant who let the microfilm disappear by throwing her into the ocean so she's eaten by sharks. Yep. And With like a little trapdoor in like the elevator. Yes. And Bond sees her hand just on the seafloor. And like sharks swimming around it. So like we get we realize that Stromberg's definitely the villain at this point. Well Bond realizes it. Like how serious things are gonna get. And Stromberg quizzes him on a fish, which I kinda love that there's a not in the novelization we have a reason why Bond knows what this fish is. Aside from he would probably have some idea what the fish are in the Fleming um books because he free dives often and then the Hildebrand rarity, that short story would have been the thing. And he does know some things about fish, but we get an additional explanation that he had a roommate in college who had this fish. In like what a, a happy coincidence. And it just happens to be a It's a little like, okay, whatever. But like in the films, we all know Roger Moore knows everything. Yeah, he's a walking uh, Wikipedia. Yes. He's just a dictionary and an encyclopedia and a thesaurus. Roger Moore, the smartest Bond? Yeah, he's the worst fighting Bond, I can tell you that. Yeah. He's the best talking Bond. He, <laughs> he was more of a lover than a fighter, as Conry put it. But anyway, <laughs> we ha we have a little more reaction with Bond and Stromberg talking. Not much is added. But we do, and then Bond and Anya go off where they're set up to be killed. But Anya says, like, oh, yeah, I didn't see anything. Although in the film, we do learn about the tanker this way. She's looking at a model of the tanker. I don't yep. remember how they learn about it in the book. But I don't know. It gives you something to look forward to, viewers. We don't have to say everything here. <laughs> but we get a Lotus chase. Which we get to see the Lotus uh, get chased by a motorcycle that has a torpedo sidecar that blows up a mattress trailer. And then the dude flies off the cliff. And then we have a car chase in the film. I don't think it's in the book because Jaws is in the car. And then the car falls into someone's house. And Jaws is the only one to survive it. And then we have the Bond lady villain is chasing him in a helicopter. Which in the book is Jaws. 
helicopter shooting at them with a machine gun. But then we find out why she's called Wet Nelly as the car goes underwater and becomes a submarine. It's kind of cool. But it has a missile launcher at the top of it that blows up the helicopter in the movie. That's not in the novelization. Then they go and realize that Stromberg's lab's just built over the water. It's like not touching dry land at all. And then they get chased by scuba divers. They have to fight the scuba divers. And then we get the great scene in the film where they, they're driving with the... They drive out of the ocean and Bond drops a fish next to yeah. someone. And there's this one guy with like his bottle of alcohol looking at it like... Huh? Yeah. Which I think we have a shot like that in Moonraker again. Right? Oh, yeah. Probably with the gondola that has, is a hovercraft. Yeah, that's when we have the double-taking pitch, pitch like... Yeah, uh, not funny. Not that funny. Yeah. Anyway, so by this point in the book, Anya is really into Bond now. And they're like getting all close and stuff. And then the book, she gets flowers that have a secret message from Colonel Nickton saying that Bond killed her lover. And so she gets all cold and tells him that Bond that she's going to kill him when the mission's over. In the film, Bond pulls out um, it's a cigarette box, and she's like, "Where'd you get that?" He's like, "Oh yeah, from Austria." And then she figures out that he killed her lover. Which both of them lead to a great scene where Bond's like, "Hey, you." We both know what business we're into. This is what happens. I don't enjoy it, but this is what our jobs are. Like, be professional about Mm -hmm. it. Which is cold bond, but, like, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's nice to get that they're basically the same scene from book to film. Yeah. Because we don't... Whenever we get Roger Moore doing something like cold like that, it's very refreshing and it feels very Bond like. Mm-hmm. Now we get to our, our climax, which is we get the not Felix Leiter, but basically acts like Felix Leiter because all Americans act the same. Yeah. With their Bond's friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. I can't even remember his name, but like he's the captain of a submarine and he lets this is a good joke and we can bring up the one of the things that I really started to notice during this film. Um, anyway, he Bond and uh, Anya are on board and he didn't, the, this captain didn't realize that Major Amazov was a female and she's like, don't treat me differently because I'm a woman, which is nice. But he's like, just the same. I think it's best that you shower in here instead of with the the men on board, which leads to a great joke where she's showering. She's obvious. The actress is obviously naked, which this we can get into this a bit. Nowadays, most actresses will not do that. They have a body double, and then you can see in post-production you can put someone's face on someone else. 
do that or you shoot them so it's not obviously them or there, i mean there are some actresses that do get naked on camera but a lot of them don't anymore so she's clearly naked and this movie is pg and it was not meant to be in high definition because what would have been blurry in standard definition is now you see full nip she's clearly taking a shower and there's something in to go back to backpedal to the opening of this with the Carly Simon song nobody does it better but those women are naked too which I just assumed for the longest time that they just wore body suits but no there is clearly free flying boob going on and you wouldn't have seen it unless it was in high definition because I know Noah watched this on DVD yeah and because you told me the day before I looked for nipples mm-hmm. Th- thank you by the way the great I, I want to experience crazy yeah so I looked for it and it's like in the opening credits it was yeah obvious it's, it's more so on blu-ray yeah but I remember the one scene when like you said the shower scene mm-hmm. and it was like it was still blurry enough on my DVD copy it's not really. Um, yeah, I can I'm only imagine what it looks like in 4K. They don't own this in 4K. I have seen some of the 4K transfers though of some of these Bond films because they were free on Prime for a while. So like I've seen License to Kill in 4K. They've done a really good job with these films, but unfortunately, we get into other things that don't look good on Blu-ray, which there's a lot of blue screen in this. Oh my god, yes. There's a scene when, like, Bond and not Felix, Navy Felix, like, look out of the submarine at the end. It's and, like, terrible. they are so... The projection, it looks like the scene from You Only Live Twice. Yes, which is ten years earlier. Almost ten years earlier. Um, But the whole thing is, Blue Screen was not meant to be filmed on Blue. Like that's and that's the problem with this is this movie has a lot of blue tones in it, and it looks weird. Like, and even like in the opening, there's issues with it in high definition, where it feels like the effects are falling apart. If that makes any sense. Um, do you mean the insert shots when Bond is skiing yes. and he's like? Well, not just that. No, I mean like in the when the song plays and we have the credits, the opening credits, like some of that doesn't look looks broken now because of high definition because like these the effects they use don't hold up. Like people that are kind of like all blue, like kind of keying out, if that makes sense. Like for for people who have like like work on film or have like a degree like I have a degree <laughs> in this like it I'm trying to explain it best I can like people like start to fade out because the it's stuff on a blue screen and it's blue tinted everything like all all these bond like credit introductions like like opening credits where they play the song and stuff like they they are a specific color palette 
like to the film and like a lot of films have like a, a color tone to them like what, what did you call Spectre the pissed yellow so, yeah Spectre is pissed yellow yeah um, but like a lot of films have a have a color tone like things are there when you color correct you have like a color theme sometimes and Spy You Love Me because a lot of it's on the ocean is blue. Like, that makes sense, right? But, like, when you're doing things on a blue screen that are blue, you tend to have things disappear because it's, the colors match up. It's like when you're on a green screen and you wear, like, a green bodysuit. Like, um, if you've ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when, when Charlie wears the green man suit. You put that on a green screen, you're invisible. You can register movements a little bit because it will pixelate and you can tell something's moving around, but you're you're virtually invisible. It's the same with blue. Like it's just green keys out better. Like that's why people we switched to green screen in the 2000s. Like that became the standard. During like the Star Wars prequels for instance, some of it's on blue screen, some of it's on green screen when it came to Revenge of the Sith. When stuff was like Mustafar is all on green screen because there's so many effects going on, it wouldn't work on blue screen. Like, if, does that does that make sense? Yeah. Like, so like we get we get things like that that don't work. That are like optical effects. They just don't work anymore because it's it's the, the unfortunate thing about high definition is you really start to see that it's. That that it's not lifelike anymore. Like things you could suspend your disbelief on, like VHS or even on DVD. You can't on Blu-ray, and you really can't on 4K. Or when we switch to 8K, it's going to start pulling apart these older films that like started using special effects like this. Like any 70s and 80s films are not going to really look good anymore. All right, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with this, but where were we? Um, We're on the submarine. Right. The submarine is captured by Stromberg's tanker, which turns out it opens in the front and swallows up submarines, and it can fit three of them all next to each other. Which is very similar to the You Only Live Twice with the rockets, with the fins. It also reminds me, in Tomorrow Never Dies... I think there's another ship that's like this too. Yeah, yeah, right. So this is a this is a recurring thing that happens. It's cool every time. I'm just gonna say that. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's it, it's ridiculous, but it's kind of neat, and you, it can kind it's kind of plausible. And they're wondering why the ship was shaped like that. Well, now it, it swallows up submarines, and they're all captured. Then. Stromberg realizes that Bond and Anya are on there to reveal that Stromberg knows who they are. And then in the book, I like the books like Bond and Anya's farewell. Like they're never going to see each other again. Where Because in the movie, she refuses to say anything to him because she's so mad at him. But in the book, she's like, Stromberg's like, I'm very curious to see what kind of offspring you and Jaws would have. Oh man. 
which is horrifying thought. And if you've read Colonel Sun, which has a horrific sort of assault scene like that, that's implied. I was in absolute panic mode at this point because I'm like, oh my god, it's gonna be like Colonel Sun again, and it's just gonna be bad. Where it actually happens? Oh no! The, it, the, the, if it did, it, thankfully, no, I know it didn't happen, but you were afraid it would happen. Yeah, yeah, because I, uh, I'm not. This is a '70s book. I'm, a, I'm ready for the worst to happen. This is when Death Wish came out. All right, like. Horrible things happened in 70s media. Like, I, I'm just fully prepared for the absolute worst. <laughs> Thankfully, this didn't happen. It and did. In the movie, and in the movie, it's Stromberg wants her taken to, like, his quarters, and it's implied that he wants to have sex with her? Yes, but, like, that's something I want to bring up in the book, Stromberg. He just doesn't seem like a human being. No. And he, I don't think he thinks of himself as a human. No, he's full on like an insane psychopath, which yeah, I like. Who wants to be a fish? Yeah. Basically. Yeah, and this leads to one of my favorite things here. Um near the end when Bond asks him, like, okay, your plan is going well, just tell us how much money do you want so we can get yeah. this shit over with. Because Bond obviously knows from like Blofeld or like Goldfinger, okay, these people just want money and stuff. Mm -hmm. Let's let's try to diffuse the situation. And Stromberg is like, I don't care about money. Like, I just want to see the world burn, basically. Yeah, I want to create a new world in my image, a pe more peaceful world. And in the book, he talks about how the Cold War is just killing everyone. And he's going to be merciful and just get it over with by having a new a Russian nuclear sub and a British nuclear sub, the Russians nuke New York. And the uh, the British nuke Moscow, and it starts World War Three. It'd be a nuclear war, and everything ends in four hours. Mm -hmm. So Anya's taken away. Stromberg leaves in the movie in a terrible effect, where some some puppets were put in a toy boat that was shot out the model, and then it quick cuts to them being actual people. <laughs> That's okay. That's the one effect that looks bad, like even on DVD. Yeah, I, I don't think that ever looked bad. Like looked good. I don't. Yeah. Think. In the in the movie, they leave on a helicopter during when when Bond rescues everyone. All the the Americans and British and the Russians are somewhere. Some reason not involved. That's something weird in both the book and the film. They're just the Russians aren't there. Are they all dead? Maybe he kills him. I guess. Are we to believe that the Russians are working with Stromberg's SS people? Like, I don't know. Like, they're not there, though. It's clearly just British and Americans. Yeah, because this might have a message of, like, oh, we can all work together, but really it's, it's the British and the Americans. Yeah, it's the NATO people. <laughs> the NATO saving everyone. Yeah, they are like, okay, Russians, you are cool, like, we can do this, but we are still better. Yeah. And we have we have great some great scenes with that, which feel like you only live twice when all the ninjas show up and fight Spectre. 
yeah, where Bond, he isn't just fighting alone, like I was thinking of the final in No Time to Die. Yes. And where... here he gets an army to help him. And it feels so much better. Yeah. Than just him turning into John Wick for no reason. Yeah, or, or Brambo or something like that. It feels yeah. more John Wick. It feels especially No Time to Die. This is something we didn't even talk about. It feels. Yeah, like I mean, he's Wick. he's Rambo in the Brosnan movies, where yes. he's also all alone with machine guns gunning people down. Yeah. But like, in this, in this, it just feels it feels good. It feels like a big Bond film done right. Mm-hmm. There's a whole scene where they have to stop fighting because the the bridge is fortified. But in the book, Bond runs off to try to rescue Anya, and then he doesn't fire on the helicopter, which is a really cool scene, uh, because she's on it. And then he has, he's like, I have doomed everyone because of my poor judgment. Which is a cool scene that I wish was in the film, but it's mm-hmm. not. They, If it would have been Dalton, they would have done it. I'm just saying, like, yeah. But this era, they wouldn't have done it with Connery either. Um, but it's a good Fleming sort of moment in the book mm-hmm. that's omitted from the film. But anyway, they, they take apart a nuclear missile, they take the detonator out, and they make it so they can blow up this like blast screen, like this this titanium blast screen. So they can get into the bridge and stop everything. And that's a tense scene where Bond's writing on the top of the weird camera system. Which I think he just crawls through the the grates in the, the book. I can't remember. But he drops it. It's a tense scene. And then we get some more fighting. And then like they stop World War III from happening. But they still got to get Stromberg. Yeah, because they make the two uh, submarines shoot at each other, destroy yes. each other. They change the coordinates last minute. The last mm-hmm. four minutes. Which was an exciting moment because Bond is sitting down at like the terminal mm-hmm. and he takes like the manual and reads like he turns the pages, okay, how do I do this? And then just types in how to do it. And it was, there's no music, there's nothing. It was really awesome actually. Yeah, it's tense. Mm-hmm. So then they escape, which is an intense scene. And they, they sink the tanker, but they still got to go to Stromberg's fortress, Atlantis, to go fight Stromberg, which I like the book's version better. Mm. Where Bond puts on scuba gear mm. and gets shot out a torpedo shaft <laughs> to go fight Stromberg. It felt like Live and Let Die, the novel. And he's scuba diving his way to to the lair in that. It felt like that. Although yeah, he's but... not attacked by sharks or barracudas. Hmm? I was expecting that. But it was nice to not have that. But he only he has an hour before they just destroy the fortress. Mm-hmm. And he gets there with like another gadget delivered by Q. Yes, and I don't like that. Yeah. I don't I don't like how it's done. Because Bond is like, no, this other guy is like, okay, how will you get to Atlantis to his base? And Bond is like, get me the thing Q sent me in the mail. 
and then the, the scene goes on for like two minutes where like a guy comes in puts it down bond opens it looks through it he gives one of the parts to the other guy he looks at it it's like the the handlebars yeah the handlebars and then it and then it cuts to bond uh, actually driving the thing yeah but it's like, like a little jet ski thing and it yeah, looks the, dumb yeah but i was thinking how much better would this be if it wasn't so drawn out mm-hmm. like he's like how how are you gonna get to atlantis bond and bond is like bring me the package you know and then, me. and then it cuts and he's that would have been better, but it still looks it just looks goofy because Roger Moore looks too big for it. Yeah, it looks like a children's toy, similar to like little Nelly, and you only so, live twice. He's so tall, it just doesn't look right. <laughs> and then he just rides up no problem at all. Yeah, I like it, that effect with Atlantis and him, you know, arriving there on the Yeah, fair enough. I mean it's practical. Yeah. Um but we have our our confrontation with Stromberg. Which is the most brutal thing ever put on film for well, some reason. Shot... Oh yeah. So so the film Stromberg tries to sh- has like this weird um tor- what is it? harpoon tube thing under his ta- under the dining table and Bond sits at the other end. And it shoots out explosions. For some reason. Yeah, it shoots out an explosive harpoon. And then Bond's like, my turn. He sticks the Walther PPK down the tube and shoots him like twice in the in the I'm balls. Not... He shoots him right in the balls twice. And then just shoots him to the in point... the chest twice. Yeah. And then shoots him an additional time. He shoots him five times. And then the last, I think it's really the last shot we get of Stromberg. It's him, like, on his, he's like, uh, 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 like he's falling to the ground and he's all bloody. And it's, I, I think this was, like, left over when he was supposed to be Blofeld. Yes. In the book, though, he and Bond get into scuffle because they start shooting the, uh, the fortress. And the fortress is already going underwater. Mm. Still, it... it because it's over this like chasm that Stromberg has no idea how deep it goes, but he's just like he's like I plan to kill myself, and this thing is just going to compress down because of the pressure of the ocean, which is a terrifying thought. But then they start shooting it as it's going because it starts going down, it starts moving, so they just go ahead and start firing on it, and then. In the blast, the table goes and crushes Stromberg's skull, which is a disgusting thing. Oh my god, that should have also happened in the movie after he got shot. Yeah. Let's just go all out. But we get our fight with Jaws, which is goes different in both the book and the film. Because we didn't explain something. We, we admitted something from the film. The train fight. Right. Yet another train fight. Yeah. With Jaws. Mm-hmm. And I intentionally didn't say it because it shares parallels to how the book fight goes, last fight with Jaws goes in the book. So earlier on, Anya and Bond are getting close and they have they have a joint quarters on a train. And Jaws assaults Anya like beats her up and is going to kill her. And then Bond comes out, and he and Bond have a fight. 
the the only reason they stop Jaws that time is Bond takes a lamp, smashes the bulb, so it's like electrified, which doesn't work, by the way. That's not a thing that happens. And he shocks Jaws's teeth with the lamp, with the exposed bulb. Yes. That's how electricity works. Well, they do something similar when Jaws and Bond have their final confrontation where, first of all, he breaks Bond's hand. Mm-hmm. Like, shatters his his right hand to get the gun out of his hand. Because in the movie, he just shoots Jaws in the teeth. <laughs> why couldn't you, if you're that good of a shot, why can't you aim higher to dome him? <laughs> That was safety trouble, but no, he shoots him in the teeth, and then the PPK jams. And then the two of them brawl, which leads to a great scene where he they fight in the magnet room. Mm-hmm. Which why there's a magnet? I don't know. I don't understand why that's there. But he, he magnetizes Jaws by his teeth and then dumps them in, so he fights Jaws fights a shark. Yeah. He Jaws versus killed. Jaws. Yes. Which I think was a joke. Definitely. So he, he ends up killing the shark. Like that's clear in the film. But in the book, Jaws and Bond fight, and Jaws sh- and Bond finds some exposed wire and he like grabs it, he shoves it in Jaws' mouth. <laughs> it just starts electrocuting him, but it doesn't kill him. And then Stromberg has like a tank with a shark in it, and the shark jumps like the tank bursts because of all the, the, the shooting, all the missiles being fired at Atlantis. And then we it's left up to interpretation which Jaws won. Mm. But then Bond and um, Anya escape in the very comfortable bed escape pod. Oh yeah, Stromberg's personal uh, little escape pod. With, um, with the, the champagne. Yeah. So, and then we get our, in the film, we get our, like, confrontation of, is Anya going to kill Bond? And then they decide, the fuck. (laughs) Yeah. With the great moment, she's pointing the gun at him. We get the close-up of her finger pulling the trigger. And then the champagne, it pops. Yeah. And then we get our great pun when they're rescued. Of oh yeah, their bosses like Google and M and Q and everybody is just looking in there when they are like post coitus. Yeah, and they're like, "Bond, what are you doing?" He's like, "Keeping the British end up," and then closes. And then it gets like this military, like navy version of of the song of nobody does it better. Yeah, with like. It's now it's great. a bunch of men singing it. It's awesome. And then it goes back to Carly Simon singing it. Yeah. But in the book, we cut from the initial escape to a little while later, Bond's recuperating at his flat. We get his his lovely... Is, is she Scottish? I think she is Scottish. Yeah, or yeah Irish. I think so. um, Housekeeper has a cameo, and she invites in the the navy captain and bonded him yuck it up a little bit and then it's like there's a woman here to see you and it's anya who proceeds to 
join Bond in the bedroom after Bond quickly shaves and is like shocked that he doesn't cut himself because he still has a damaged hand even though he wants to go back to work mm. and it ends like that with her I, I think I prefer the movie version I kind of like the book. It felt. I mean, I do like the book. I mean, the ending specifically. The movie's version's funnier. It feels more Roger Moore. Yeah. And it set a trend for a very, very long time of end of Bond movie sex puns. Oh my god, when did it stop? Die another day? There's a few of them that don't do it. I know that the Neil Craig films don't do it because he's miserable and doesn't have sex. He doesn't have fun. Yeah. Um, he, he listens to Sinatra and complains about it. Yeah. It wasn't, that wasn't even a Frank Sinatra song. It was a rip-off version. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Yeah, uh, but... Oh no. But yeah, I think it was Die Another Day. Which Die I think that's day. the only good change they did. Stop yeah, well, by the by, the Brosnan films, it was very done to death. I thought Christmas only comes once a year. <laughs> I was thinking of the VR set from Die Another Day with Money Penny. Oh God, yeah, that's where she's that's masturbating cool. on the floor. That's literally the worst of it. That that is it's the epitome of how bad it got. But I'm pretty sure they do it in Moonraker. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Q has the best line. It yeah, looks like he's attempting re-entry, sir. Oh god! Um, <laughs> that one works because it's Q, and I just, you know. I know they do it in a view to a kill, but I don't know if they they don't do it in the Dalton films. No, it's better in the Dalton films because it's because they bring something up they set up before. Yes. Which worked better in the in license the to kill? It was like, why don't you wait until you ask? You know, this thing they bring back, and it's me. not just, yeah, and it's yeah. not just the sex pun. There's something more to it. Yeah, but I, I mean, I preferred Living Daylights with that. We'll, we'll get to mm-hmm. that one because that one just feels better. Like it feels more natural. Yeah, uh, but they do it in Brosnan's films. They do it in at least three of them. Now that I think about it. I don't remember the end of Tomorrow Never Dies, so they could do it in that one too. They did. He did make out mid with uh, what's her name? Not Lucy Liu, because I thought it was. <laughs> remember, I did that. Like, oh Lucy yeah, Liu? I thought it was Lucy Liu for the longest. It's not. She was in those. Um, oh gosh, Charlie's Angels movies that came out a little after that. Yeah, you confused Charlie's Angels with Tomorrow Never Dies. They look, they're shot the same, all right? Yeah. Those Brosnan films set the standard for what spy movies were going to be like for a while because Mission Impossible 1 looks like Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. Like, they all look the same up until Triple X. Triple X tried to do something different, which didn't work at all i don't know why people like those movies they're really horrible 
even compared to Die Another Day, I'd rather watch that than like Triple X State of the Union, for instance. Like, or the third Triple X. Like, why? Hmm. Why I double people... checked. I double checked, by the way. It's Michelle Yeoh. Okay. She's a good Bond girl. I liked yeah. her. And she was a good fighter in the movie. Yeah, well, she's a martial artist. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty... She did a bunch... She's in those police story Jackie Chan films. I know she's... I think she's in the Star Trek Discovery show. Well, that's... that's. I feel sorry. Yeah. That's horrendous. <laughs> this is what this podcast has become, you know? We just, like, ugh. Modern stuff sucks. Yeah, but what can we do about it? John Wick doesn't suck. John Wick's pretty good. When we start the John Wick podcast. Oh yeah, we get three episodes done. Four. We'll review the comic hmm. that um, I think Boom Studios came out with. It's it's mad. It's very mediocre. Kind of a prequel, but not really. It took forever to come out. It's a five-issue mini, and it took, I think, two years to come out? They, like, made issue one and then didn't make any other issues. And then they was like, oh, I guess we've finished it. Hmm. But yeah, John, John Wick Chapter 4 comes out this year, I think. Really? Huh. This year or next year, there there is a Chapter 4. I've not seen Chapter 3, so I couldn't interesting but i missed it when they stopped at like a trilogy that's just what i prefer i just you know i i like when something works and it feels fresh and i'll take that until it's not fresh anymore but anyway that is the spy who loved me by ian fleming the film and the novelization by christopher woods which one did is it best? Obviously, it's Ian Fleming's novel. <laughs> yeah, e- easily. It's the greatest thing ever. No. I think the novelization is better than the film. But with really? that being said, yes. So to me, as a whole, if they were to never write any Bond books after this, it feels like the perfect end for the Bond character. Hmm. Like, Fleming's Bond. Okay, I can see it. Because he's now with... He and the enemy... He's come to terms with things from Casino Royale now. Hmm. And he's found his equal, and it's just... Nice. With that being said, this is... You could argue this is the best war film... Oh, yeah, definitely. I think most people would agree that's his best film. I personally think it's the second best. But we'll get to that next season with what I think is the best more film. But this is... Spoilers, it's a view to a kill. Obviously. No, it's Moonraker. (laughs) That's an awesome one. That's basically the same movie, so... I don't don't know. I think, honestly, I think For Your Eyes Only is a good send-off for more and mm-hmm. just feels very Bond-like. I like it a little more than Spy Who Loved Me. It's kind of a smaller film. More down-to-earth? It's more down-to-earth. 
And it just, if they were to end Bond there for the films, I wouldn't have minded. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. Yeah, I mean, imagine if this was the last one. This was intended as the last James Bond movie. Let's go out with a bang. And, and this definitely really- would have been it. Mm-hmm. And it and it's a fun movie. At the end, it leaves you with, you know, optimism. Optimism. You had a good time. Yeah. And with a nice life. And now you compare it to No Time to Die. Yeah. It's just different. Where era, James man. Bond gets obliterated. With the dodo. Yeah. Imagine, imagine Spy Who Loved. Imagine Spy Who Loved Me. It's the same movie. And after James Bond makes the pun. The ship just explodes. <laughs> I mean, my draw at that point. Like, God, I don't want there to be any more Bond films, and I know what's going to happen. More bad Bond films. That's the problem. Well, we don't need the broccolis in charge anymore. I don't know, because if you take it away from the broccoli family, it's going to go to Disney or Amazon. And like these soulless, faceless monsters in charge. But the Broccoli's don't know what to do with it. And they haven't known what to do with it since. Oh, God, like. The world's not enough. I mean, that's when we got the screenwriters, Purvis and Wade. Yes. And that's one of the is the worst decision they've ever made. Because it's taken the Bond films into a direction that doesn't really represent Bond well. Where it's not escapist fun anymore. No. And that's the most obvious with the Daniel Craig era, which is edgy, pretentious, and just, like, even the good ones, like Casino Royale or Skyfall, people say are great, where it's like, yeah, well-made, good-looking, good action, but something missing yeah but anyway thank you for joining us this season of live and let's discuss i almost said paper movies i mean this kind of is we talked about a novelization well i have to record a paper movies a single cut after this for the spy who loved me nice which is a single cut so it'll be five minutes that seems to be our our goal so check out Paper Movies on uh, wherever you can get podcasts where we not only do we do a book club, but one of us hosts will take a novelization that maybe the other hosts don't have or we wouldn't have time to read. And we just discuss it briefly. We do a quick review of it. And yeah, I wanted to get pretty much they aren't very in-depth reviews. Because they're supposed to be under 10 minutes. But yeah, they're fun. Get a general overview of the book and our thoughts. So, And then, of course, if you want more of our thoughts, you can obviously come here for any Bond stuff. But yeah, anyway, um, this was fun. Yeah. We're going to take a hiatus for a little bit. And, and then we will triumphantly return with Moonraker, one of the closest adaptations of an Ian Fleming novel. <laughs> but we have the same situation we have with this one. Again. Yep. Another really long one. But, you know, whatever. Hey, we lit. this is season one. We left with, like, 
a big bang, you know, feel happy. I wonder how season two will end. Hmm. Oh, die another day. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, anyway. that one ends with a big bang. Yeah, anyway, have a good one. <laughs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.